0: This is the weekly bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is March 24th, end of market on Wednesday. We saw all the indices drop across the board. Dow and S&P were... Just slightly down, but they were down ultimately because of um, tech. And and we saw NASDAQ decline by 2 percent. Ten-year Treasury was also down slightly. It's still in the 1.6 range. But we saw Chairman Jerome Powell, he made his second appearance before Congress this week. Him and uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen were speaking about the economic recovery to the coronavirus right in front of the U.S. Senate's Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Uh, We should also note that we saw some stuff from uh, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan was talking to CNBC saying he would likely favor an interest rate increase before the end of 2022. But when you're looking at a dot plot of rate expectations um, for individual members on the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, it was only three officials out of the 18 agreed with Kaplan's position. So overall, consensus seems to be no no, no hikes through 2023. And yeah, uh, Grant, anything I overlooked or anything you should enlighten us on?
1: Well, just wanted to highlight one thing from Jerome Powell uh, when he was talking to the House financial Services Committee yesterday that he didn't expect the 1.9 trillion stimulus to have a big impact on inflation. There's been lots of talks over the last couple of weeks that this stimulus package would overheat. Doesn't seem like the Fed is really too worried about that. And then also Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also brought up uh, that the rescue package is, is the best thing for the U.S. economy. And then the next spending bill or the infrastructure bill we briefly talked about on our last podcast, will really uh, address the income inequality.
0: Yeah. And I guess one thing I'll point out for all you Wall Street bets people out there. uh, (laughs) The Wall Street boys. Yeah. It's been a rough couple days for GameStop. Uh, The earnings report was whackluster, and you've seen a gigantic uh, market sell-off. So at the end of the day, their earnings call did seem to matter a bit. Um,
1: well, when you can't provide any f- financial information, you can see why a tech stop, uh, a stock drops 33% the next day.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're supposed to
1: bring you to the moon, though, but
0: so <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, let's get a uh, couple. Th- this podcast, we're going to talk about a couple stocks in particular that I found interesting. Uh, one of that being Tesla. So Arc <clears throat> Invest predicted $3,000 stock price. Uh, and then on Monday, you saw they got
1: kind of a bump because of that. Um, Grant, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, it's Tesla has been a hot stock for a very long time. We saw that the last 12 months uh, until it's high in January. Stock gained about 700% in 12 months. It was down. It's down twenty percent from its high in January. It's become very popular as we've seen it. Tesla be added into different ETF vehicles. Uh, Arc and innovation itself has Tesla shares worth two point five billion. I think really with the change of the new administration and also a lot of. Uh, more institutional investors such as BlackRock putting a big push on client change is also a driver for Tesla because of the zero emissions and people trying to be carbon neutral. Uh, so I, I think it's a perfect storm for Tesla right now and we're going to continue to see it continue to rise.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Arc uh, so that the shares that they have worth 2.5 billion dollars. That accounts for almost 10% of their $24 billion ARC innovation fund. Uh, so it's their largest investment, and you better believe they're hoping it hits 3,000, right? So <laughs> a little speculation yeah, there. Yeah.
1: Um, one more thing on Tesla is we did see Elon Musk now come out and say they were going to accept payment in Bitcoin. So that's another interesting statement from Elon Musk and may drive some additional business because there are a, a lot of followers of, of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, absolutely. The other one I kind of wanted to bring up was Saudi Aramco. Uh, obviously, about a year ago was one of the most exciting um, IPOs, world's biggest oil company. And they have had one hell of a year, to put it lightly. Um Although they were able to uh, pay out the dividends, and, and they did that in spite of everything. so Well, so the
1: king needs his, needs his right. dividend payments. Right. Uh, it, it was interesting because we saw many big energy companies cut their dividends last year. But to your point, Aramco still played out $70 billion in their dividend, which was nearly all of their cash. Um, it's interesting to see. We saw Bernstein Research come out and suggest that buying Chinese major oil companies would be a, a better buy as a value for, for global investors and their average dividend isn't as high, but 7.1%. Really, uh, there's a couple of things that may help Iranco moving forward, but there are some big question marks to their stock moving forward, one being the anti-carbon trends that we've seen. And then more importantly, the geopolitical risks that we've seen with Iran. We saw another uh, suicide drone attack on one of their plants. Uh, But one good thing that might happen is the U.S. has decreased their oil production in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, if the U.S. loses its position as the world largest oil producer, we could see a, a bump in oil prices where Saudi Aramco could be more profitable.
0: Yeah. Drillers are, have been really hesitant in the United States based on Joe Biden's recent comments. Um, I mean, he also referred to the Saudis as a pariah state. But at the end of the day, uh, we didn't really hit them with any hard sanctions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they might take up some of our uh, production for sure, but yeah, you mentioned. I mean, there's just a lot of political risk. Uh, you have the Houthi rebels in Yemen who um, have been bombing sites in response to the Saudis financing um, the war there. Um, you know, on the other side, and uh, the Yemen civil war in Yemen turned into uh, you know a geographic catastrophe. Uh, so yeah, they've 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 definitely been attacking Saudi oil fields. Then also, in the heart of the thing, uh, last year, if you remember, uh, they kind of had an oil war with the Russians uh, going over share prices, uh, and that was, I mean, something major to consider. I mean, actually, they they, they wanted the Russians to cut production functionally, as they were doing the most, and a lot of other OPEC countries were as well, Uh, and as a result, the Russians really were slow to cut productions. And then you saw negative oil futures in April. So you had people That's a great point physically paying uh, <laughs> companies to take their oil <laughs> out of storage, which is it's not something you think you'd ever see. So yeah, it's been quite a year for oil. And as a result, Saudi Aramco.
1: Yeah, the big storage issue there on oil in the middle of last year, completely forgot about that. Great point, Drew. Let's transition to another hot topic that has happened over the last maybe 18 months, which is cryptocurrency. We saw the Federal Reserve chairman on Monday say that cryptocurrencies remain unstable source of value and the central bank is in no hurry to introduce a competitor. It's a essentially a substitute for gold rather than the dollar. Drew, what's your take on these latest comments from Jerome Powell? Uh.
0: Yeah, um, for for the time being, it, it looks like we're going to be reluctant, or the Fed's going to be reluctant to go forward with using cryptocurrencies. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think at some point the dam might break. Uh, you mentioned Tesla it was being going to be accepting payments in Bitcoin. You've also seen central banks around the world who have taken a more bullish position. On using digital currencies. Uh, So if you have central banks, like uh, if the Chinese make movements, I mean, it's just going to be a matter of time before I think the United States follows suit.
1: If more and more companies are going to take them as as currency, the Fed's going to have to step in at some point. So I think you're right. They they might force their hand. He did say Congress will likely have to pass some type of bill enabling legislation uh, to proceed with its own cryptocurrency. But he also noted that with the last pandemic, that developing a better payment system so money can be processed more quickly to if, if more payments need to be made and, instead of mailing out checks to, to to people.
0: Yeah, and they are. I should say they are. Um, they have undertaken probes into whether central bank digital coin um, is necessary and practical. So. I don't know. I think you look at it a lot like legalization of marijuana. It's just slow and slow. And then all of a sudden the dam breaks, um, use changes, public perceptions change, and then people just have to get with the times, um, you know, due to popular demand, but we'll see.
1: We should mention that joblessness claims jumps up to seven hundred and seventy hundred thousand. uh, Really, as we we're still recovering from COVID 19, this was a little bit uh, not in the estimates. The estimates were a little bit lower than that, especially as we see Texas, Florida, Mississippi eliminate a lot of the reduced restrictions. Pennsylvania is due to cut back in April. Other states will follow, uh, but we're continuing to see joblessness claims uh, still remain up.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's been in light of U.S. vaccination rate. It's been going at about 2.4 million a day, too. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, the psychology there, but uh, there are a lot of people who are wary about coming out even even at the stage of the pandemic. Um, so maybe that plays a role. Uh, you, you also had a weird month in February uh, as well. A lot of companies were cutting costs or cutting purchases on equipment due to unseasonable weather. So, you know, there are things that, that will shake up and, and maybe we'll have a better picture of of um, of what, what the gains are this coming month. But
1: And the Fed said it's going to continue to hold the short-term borrowing rates near zero until the economy reaches full employment. So that could also be uh, in their favor as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we've also seen uh, big loan drops um, or uh, bank loans have dropped in in a deposit surge. So you're looking at total loans and leases have dropped to 62.8% of bank deposits the week that ended on March 10th. Um, And then, you know, lenders have used deposits to fund new credit for their customers. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the major major highlights. I mean, you've seen loans and leases slip to 49.7% of total assets, which is the lowest reading the data going back to 1973.
1: And a big reason that we're seeing this is consumers saved $2.9 trillion during the pandemic. So the world's largest economies have extra savings during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, really, there's I think there's a plethora of reasons for that. People not going out, people saving just in case. Um, you know, half of that was, so 1.5 trillion in growing was in the United States alone. That's at least double the average annual gross domestic product, uh, of South Korea. So that's a very significant number in savings. And I think this is why a lot of people are optimistic about the recovery this year is because <laughs> people are betting people are going to go on ginormous spending sprees, go to sports games. Uh, go to restaurants and sporting events and really have, have not hold back in their spending. And that's why we're seeing some economists say growth can be 9% if we continue to see this this big flow of money out of deposits and, and into the economy.
0: Yeah. Go back to the point and people, you know, reticent about going to normal pre-pandemic life and how this has been a big byproduct of consumers being able to save $2.9 trillion is that, uh, you know, when looking at a recent survey from the American Psychological Association, 49% of adults are uncomfortable about returning to in-person interactions when the pandemic ends. And even 48% of people who have received the COVID vaccine report feeling the same way. So people psychologically are, I guess, not as open as I figured they would be. I thought at this time of the pandemic, it would look like victory over uh, Europe day, you know, where you got nurses and soldiers kissing in the streets and big parades. Uh, but no, it's it's just, it's just different with the pandemic. Uh, people's psyche has changed and it, it might take them a while to get comfortable with doing things they would uh, on a normal basis. And a lot of that means going out and spending and shopping and drinking and eating and you know, doing entertainment. So,
1: Well, even last week when we went out to uh, to the pub for a couple of black and tans for St. Patrick's Day and, and people were running around, it, it it made me feel a little, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but just wasn't used to it. It seemed like a little out of the norm. And I think people are going to be different, are going to be comfortable, and it's going to take a little easing back um, because a lot of people have been working from home, haven't had many interactions outside of family or, or close friends. So um, being in a bar with one hundred and fifty people will will seem a little crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, a couple black and tans and car bombs can take the edge off, but that's not a that's not an everyday occurrence. So uh, can't do
1: that when you come back to the office. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Um, I guess one thing we should look at is uh, American investors remain very interested in China. Uh, I mean, when we're looking at bonds, that's a particular point of note. Uh, Chinese 10 year has a yield of over 3.2%. I mean, and, and U.S. rates, which have certainly gone up, you know, they're still pushing 1.6 to 1.7 on the 10 year. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that is, um, you know, the bonds from a structural perspective, people are looking for yield. Um, and then additionally, you know, you got to look at the fact that the Chinese government has handled the pandemic pretty robustly. Uh, we, we, I mean, obviously, we mentioned that, you know, it's a one party state and and they are able to bleach the streets and everything else. And you've seen robots taking kids' temperatures. So, uh, you know, the response has been something out of the Jetsons, uh, to say the least. But yeah, I mean, that gives them a big opening when the rest of the world is falling behind, especially when you're looking at other develop, developing nations. Uh, you're looking at Africa and and larger swaths of uh, Asia as well, where it might be a few years before they're fully vaccinated. So their starts and stops are going to be a lot, and and, and the Chinese are going to be able to take up a lot of that slack.
1: Yeah, and we're seeing that a lot of the other developed nations have actual negative yields. So when it comes due, they're they're actually going to be paying. A couple European countries have that. Also, another increase on the interest of the Chinese bonds because they were added to major indices that are tracking by global investors. So that's uh, propelling billions of dollars into those debt purchases as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything we might have uh, missed out on, Grant? Uh, well, there's two big ones. I'm interested to see what how this shakes out. But there was a uh, stuck container ship that could affect oil markets as the ship ran aground uh, in the canal, blocking off one of the world's most important shipping arteries uh, in the Suez Canal. Uh, And so it could take a couple of days before it moves this container ship, which could force consumers to to alternatives from the Middle East. So that may uh, drive up the the price of oil for the for the time being. And then also another one that we were just discussing before is to really see what happens with these junior Goldman Sachs bankers who created a a pitch book on uh, the downsides of working 100 hour weeks and the work environment there. As you mentioned, Credit Suisse is giving out bonuses. Looks like City is uh, having employee workdays because of it. Uh, So it's it'd be interesting to see what happens because those analyst roles are highly sought off uh, or sought after jobs for folks out of college. Uh, I don't think everyone realizes how hard a hundred hour work week is, Uh, and so to see if if that changes the the culture of, of Goldman Sachs or those other Wall Street analyst positions.
0: Yeah, uh, one thing I'll be looking at is uh, Mario Draghi in prime minister of Italy, uh, you know, recently got the vote of confidence about a month and a half ago. Uh, It's a big story that hasn't got maybe enough traction. Um, Italy is going to be a big part of Euro's growth. Uh, I mean, it's a large economy, but it's been consistently sluggish over the years. Uh, But he is definitely Perceived to be a reformer, uh, he's got big ambitions to fix, you know, Italy's tax code and and um, in his court system in particular, which which can be quite sluggish. So I think when you're looking at you know European value plays, uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter that um, Italy, Italy, while it's kind of been one of the sick men of Europe, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a beacon of hope in terms of turning around the economy and, and bringing more enterprise. And so uh, that's definitely something to look at, uh, whether that affects, you know, European uh, equities across the board is, uh, is, to, is to play out. And with that, everybody, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. We'll be talking this coming week again with Drawing Capital on um, as guests. Uh, look forward to seeing you then. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.